Welcome, everyone. It is our pleasure today to come to you from New York City and uh, on this President's Day. And it's a little early and a special day to bring our friend in. We thought we'd bring in a patriot. So it is the one and only Dave Rubin coming in. You can follow him on Twitter at Rubin Report and also rumble.com slash Rubin Report. He, of course, is the host of The Rubin Report on Blaze TV, author of Don't Burn This Book and uh, Locals, Rumble. This is all Dave Rubin. And so he has... Uh, created platforms in response to some of the censorship. And he helped us out a great deal, actually, when things when there, when there were darker hours in terms of the censorship uh, amongst uh, the social media giants. So we'll get into all that. We'll get into your questions. I'm watching on Restream and, of course, of course the Rumble Rants. We'll see you there. And I've got a million questions for Dave today. So let's get to it. Our laws, as it pertains to substances, are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic. Because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous I'm a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. Where the hell do you think I learned that? I'm just saying. You go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. And I suspect Dave Rubin has even more to say than I have to say. Follow him again at Locals, also on Twitter at Rubin Report. And be sure to check out the Rubin Report on Blaze TV. And do get Don't Burn This Book. It's an excellent book, and I suggest you read it. But um, before the mics heated up, I realized the, the real Dave Rubin story is going to be Escape from L.A. That's going to be his next book, a, a, <laughs> a, a sort of sci-fi, uh, sort of dystopian, dystopian story about a, a city that uh, became completely uh, a wasteland. Welcome, Dave Rubin. Drew, it's good to be there with you. You, you know, it's funny. That was a very kind intro. You hit all the main points. Um, I thought you were going to say a guy who abandoned me in Los Angeles, because if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, so we had you guys over a couple times for dinner parties and, and some other events that yes. I did and things, but I'm pretty sure you were at my last party, my last house party, dinner yes. party in Los Angeles before fleeing. I got the few people that were still sane in LA under the roof. We fed everybody. And I said, that's it. I'm out of here. And uh, well, it's about 13 months later, and I'm flourishing in the free state of Florida, my friend. It, it, I know that people are happier down there. We were down at West Palm Beach about six months ago, and people were significantly happier relative to Los Angeles. But I, I actually was in denial at that party. We were at that party, uh, and I thought, <laughs> nah, he's not really. He's going to keep the house at least. He'll be back and forth. And and there was an interesting group, too. There were libertarians. There was a kind of a mixed yeah. bag there. And a very nice evening. And I thank you for, I think it was two evenings, maybe three we spent at your house. And they were always a very interesting and enlightening experience. Well, you know, one of the things that I was trying to do, especially for that last year in Los Angeles, well, first off, when, when the lockdowns were really draconian and they said you can't have friends over and all, don't be out on the road at this hour and all that crazy stuff, I immediately was like, no, no, no. If they tell me not to do something, I'm going to do it. I really started going by that policy. And that's when we were having illegal parties. And I was, you know, people were, oh my God, Dave, you're going to have a party at your house and, you know, you're not going to warn your neighbors. And what if somebody narks on you? And I'm like... What are you oh people God. talking about? You're all nuts. And I That's just thought so we had to crazy. do more, more of it. But, you know, when we did a lot of those dinners towards the end, it was really interesting because I do have, and as I think you do as well, Drew, 
an eclectic group of friends, meaning that my friends are not all politically aligned with me there. I have a lot of friends that are no. certainly more left than me at this point, uh, but I have libertarian friends and more socially conservative friends and all that. And, and watching people one at a time systematically leave and flee and just be like, I'm never coming back here. And now to see so many people, uh, you know, the Daily Wire guys who of course went to Nashville and just to watch so many people just leave LA and to your point of what you saw six months ago, people are happier here. I mean, I went back to LA a couple of weeks ago. I, I did a few days in San Francisco as well, which is a complete nightmare. I mean, you should be, Drew, if, you, if you're looking for another career, I know you got a lot going on, <laughs> go to San Francisco and just stand on the corner because the, the yeah, drug situation there is just insane. But, but, but people are genuinely happier here because freedom and happiness actually go hand in hand. Yeah, and uh, it, I never thought my life would include uh, a, a renewed preoccupation with the notion of freedom and the ability to sort of protect freedom for people. But I can't, I can't resist but make a comment about the drug scene in San Francisco. What a lot of people don't realize, what's been driving me crazy about homeless for the last five years, and you and I have had many conversations about this, is these are my patients. I know exactly how to treat them. I know how to get them yeah. back to a thriving life. And those for whom it's not possible, I know how to treat those as well. And for people who need custodial care, I know how to treat those. I've done it all, did it for 35 years. But in, in California, we are not allowed to help people. It's not, it's against the law to try to help them or to ask anything of them. Like, hey, come with me. Oh no, you can't camp here. That's against the law. You can't do that. And one of the things you must do to treat a drug addict is go, hey, stop that, come with me. That's the, just the first principle. You gotta do something. Even if you're gonna give them replacement therapy like Suboxone or something, you still have to say, I'm gonna ask something of you. I'm gonna ask you to live a, something of a different life than what you're living. And we're not allowed to do that. And so they're dying just in LA County now. Every year we go up by at least one. Now we're, I think, eight per day dying on the streets of LA County. And when the meth kicks in, meth deaths come late. And meth is ubiquitous out there. When those come in, you're going to see dozens dying every day. And for, for what? What's the point? What are we doing? That's the part Drew, I don't if I can, get. If I can give you a, a positive on this, uh, the drug thing, which it's hard to ever find, especially when you're talking about San Francisco and LA, do you remember about a year and a half ago, maybe a little bit more, I had texted you because I had a friend whose adult son was struggling with some severe addiction and you yep. pointed us to a couple of places. I, I should have told you this about four months ago. He's clean. He's clean. He cleaned himself oh, up. He's got, a, Great. he's got a job. Great. He's, he's doing well right now. Uh, it's, it's a freaking miracle. Yes. I'll tell you a little bit. I'll tell you yeah, a little it bit is more a miracle. camera, but... I, I'd love to hear because it, it, when you see the recoveries, they are miraculous. People throw my own daughter's a year into recovery, more than a year into recovery. And to be close to it and to watch it, it's, it's a magical process. But there's got to be something that creates the motivation because the drugs have taken over the motivation. And they this is the part that everybody misses. It's a progressive illness that ends in death, especially with opiates and meth. But my, my point here today is not to talk about that. I can go on all day about that, and as, as you well know. I, there's a lot of stuff on my mind. Let, let me just ask you first. Are there things keeping you up at night right now? Well, it's interesting. I, I often say on the show that my the day-to-day -day politics that I talk about, meaning the national politics and what's going on with, say, Ukraine, which I talked about this morning, you know, Biden showing up there instead of being in East Palestine, or what's going on with gas prices or supply chain, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that stuff obviously bothers me. But in some ways, it's weird because it's very disconnected from how my life here is in Florida. Florida is having an economic surge. There are 1,200 people moving here a day, a day. 
The one issue in Florida, really, we're having record low crime, a record low unemployment. The one issue we have is that housing prices is high, are high, because so many people are moving here and it would be hard for any state to deal with that kind of influx. Let's not forget, California lost about a million people in the last two years. Uh, Florida has gained probably about 600,000, but again, 1,200 people a day. So my day-to-day life here is quite good. Uh, you, as you know, we're, we're also new parents. So I have, I have two young boys downstairs that are keeping me quite busy and, and it's given me a renewed fervor mm-hmm. to fight for the, the right things and, and try to live the right way, which I'm trying very hard to do and that sort of thing. But in terms of what, what's keeping me up or what I'm really worried about, I mean, I am worried, I would say at a blue sky level, that the American experiment maybe cannot continue the way we've always known it to continue. Uh, meaning that, you know, Drew, you and I are of a roughly certain age, uh, let's say Gen X-ish, something around there. And we kind of grew up in a world that had solved for most of these things. There was, no, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. Nobody thought it was cool to be racist. Nobody thought it was cool to be anti-gay or any of this nonsense. We have unearthed all of this stuff now. And now because of the, the way the woke have operated, and I would say basically decimated the Democrat party and destroyed what were old school liberals who almost don't exist anymore. This thing has infected all of our institutions. And I am worried that at a federal level, the United States of America maybe does not fully work anymore the way we wish it could work or the way it was supposed to work. The states seem to be doing it better, although I should say it's actually the red states. And the question is, how long can that tension exist? I mean, this is what federalism is all about. Our our founders were very wise to you know, really put the power in the hands of the state. But we've got an ever encroaching federal government that is screwing things up at an incredible rate related to financial policy and foreign policy and everything else. And it's like, man, I, I don't want to be, you know, the last guy fighting for, for something that doesn't exist anymore. Maybe our, our efforts are better spent fortifying wherever it is you happen to live, which is basically why I moved to Florida in the first place. Well, you're sounding like Michael Malice now. I don't know if you've interviewed him, but he has made this case very strongly. No, I have many times. I I love Malice. Well, well, he would say, I think Malice would say that's a bit of a white pill, actually. Because on on one hand, it sounds like it's a a black pill, meaning it sounds very depressing, the end of the United States. And I am certainly not, not saying that fully, and I am not calling for civil war or anything of that nature. But the white pill version, meaning the, the, the positive vision version of that, is that this is exactly how we were founded that the 50 states were supposed to be these experiments of democracy and certain states could have low taxes and low regulation. And then we could see what that would be like. Some states like where you, well, where you live and where you are now could have very high taxes and high regulation. And then we can see how that operates. And then all you have to do, you don't have to be a mathematician or anything else to just see the migration patterns. Where are people going and where are they leaving? And that really tells you all you need to know right now. Right. So, so that's a really interesting point. So my question would be, why does there have to be a dissolution of the more perfect union notion? Why can't it be exactly what you're describing and still find some sort of more perfect union of the states? In other words, one where the states are allowed to do this and there still is a federal government that does its thing but is limited like it was originally intended to be. Well, and one of the things I will say that one thing has come to me during the pandemic, I didn't realize how federal bureaucrats were really the ossification and the ones that run the government and the people that I and you elect to go there can't seem to do much because of these bureaucrats. Unless somebody could undo that, 
my little model may not work, but why not that? Well, uh, I don't know if you remember, there was this guy, he was sort of orange and he used to talk about those people often and how they kind of run everything and you've got to drain the swamp of those types of people. That bureaucratic never ending state that just, it, it's a giant sucking sound. It always wants more money. It always wants more power, et cetera. So it's funny what you're, what you're asking for, as you said, is really what we have already, right? We're not asking to rebuild a nation in and rebuild all of our founding documents. Like we really have to sit down and look at these things and parse through the bad parts. Actually, that's not what we have to do at all. What you want and what you're asking for is strong states so that way you have more local control. So it's a, it's a truly bottom-up way of looking at the world. You know, Biden always says, I want to build the economy bottom-up. What does he say? Bottom-up and side-out, something like that. Makes no sense because actually he wants everything top-down, which is why we have high inflation right now and everything else. What you would want are strong, you know, local towns and cities first that build up into strong states. So you have governors that have a lot of influence, let's say over, you know, the day-to-day -day lives of their citizens. But the federal government has a very short list of things that it's supposed to do. Controlling borders is one of them. It doesn't seem particularly good at that. So really all we would need are enough red states to somehow put pressure enough on the federal government to behave the way it is supposed to behave. I don't know that it can fully do that or, or that there's a mechanism to really make it happen because the mainstream media, big tech, all of these things, you know, we've created a situation where, you know, 250 plus years ago, we left uh, England because we didn't want to be ruled by a king. And yet for some reason, we all pretend that the, the president is the king and that somehow Joe Biden can solve all of our problems, which I'm pretty sure Joe Biden can solve none of my problems, much less his own problems. <laughs> to, your, to your point, everybody that's listening to us really needs to go read Democracy in America, or at least look up the Wikipedia of Alexis de Tocqueville, because he yes. was here in the early stages. And he, his, one of his prime observations was the practice of democracy was the reason civil, first of all, civil studies, an understanding of civil um uh, civil, you know, how, how you operate a government, participation in the government and local democracy and the practice of democracy is what he saw as the central ingredient that allowed democracy in America to thrive. And he actually had real doubts that it could survive in Europe because they didn't have that practice. Yes. And, and it's funny because in my last PragerU video, which is entitled Three Ways to Fix America, I reference that. And to talk about when he came here, he couldn't believe it because to watch people mm -hmm who are sort of unencumbered by government, which is what virtually everyone, whether, whether you're a first-generation immigrant in the United States or you're a third or fourth as I am, no matter whether your parents or grandparents or whatever it is came from Eastern Europe or they came from Cuba or Venezuela or they came from India or wherever, basically everyone's ancestors came here with nothing but a dream. And what he could not believe was, oh my God, when you put that dream into action, and the playing field is basically even, not to say that there's no bad actors and mean people and people that'll take advantage of you and all of those things. But when you basically have that with the promise of freedom, people, it will literally, I, I think there's probably an argument that it will literally change their biology. People, because of their happiness, mm -hmm. might start taking care of themselves a little bit more, smiling a little bit more. And that's why I'm telling you to, to go back to where we were before. When I'm out here in Florida, Every day walking my dog, I say hello to every freaking neighbor. I talk to everybody. People are smiling. There's, there's a zest for life here. That is in stark contrast to what it was when I was in LA, where especially during COVID, 
I'd be walking my dog. Someone would be walking their dog the other way. And they wouldn't even want the freaking dogs to say hello to each other. Or in San Francisco right now, where there's so much homelessness and it's such urban decay that you would never say hello to somebody on the street because you don't want to stop moving. Because one of the easiest ways to <laughs> you know, stay in front of the zombies is to just keep perpetual motion. So, so those Amen. things, they're not disconnected. It, they're really not disconnected. Yep. Yep. I, listen, I, I have a vivid memory of the darkest hour of the pandemic, and we should probably talk about that at some point today. But um, I was going on a run, and I would out of, you know, I wouldn't wear a mask when I went running, and as just sort of a gesture, I would go out on the cur on the in the gutter if somebody was on the sidewalk, you know, just sort of a nod towards a little distancing. There was a gentleman coming up the road as I was running down with a mask on and I was probably four feet away from him. And he leapt away from me like I was on fire. I'll never forget it. I was like, and you know, Dave, that the whole six foot distancing thing was made up, made Completely up out of whole cloth up. one day in a conference room in Washington. And the whole world bought that. That's the part I, I cannot understand about the pandemic, that essentially the CCP advised our government, our government took that in whole cloth and then advised their own so they sort of invented their own system of this term called social distancing, also invented, and the whole world fell for it. It's the most extraordinary experience I who would have ever thought. Drew, Drew, can we switch this for a second and let me ask you a question? Yeah, yeah. So when I had you when I had you on my show, it was one of the last shows that I did before I left LA, and and it was still in the middle of COVID. There were vaccine passports, all all of the nonsense. By the way, I'm, I'm still unvaccinated and I'm very proud that I'm unvaccinated and I never forced any of my employees to get vaccinated or anything of that nature. But when I had you on on that show, uh, we talked a little bit about Fauci and you were you were somewhat critical of him. But I sensed you thought uh, some of my criticism was a bit overboard. And I'm probably 10 times as critical of him at this point where, you know, these emails have come yeah. out and, you know, he was telling people, yeah. not you know, his friends don't mask while he's telling the rest of us mask, he's been on the record many times yep. saying that he never called for school closures, but we've got all the videos of it. Vaccines work. You're not going to get her transmit COVID. I mean, do you, I don't, I don't mean to put it on you, but do you regret a little bit of your defense of him? Or do you think this thing just got out of control or what? I think both. I think it with an absolute hysteria developed. I don't understand why he was so adulterated by it. As I told you in that interview, he was a very important leader during the AIDS pandemic, and he was somebody I looked to and guidance, and he was just superb. Uh, but I can see the seeds of what happened here now in retrospect. For instance, mm. think about how we used fear in the 90s. Everybody's going to get AIDS. Everybody. Every time you have sex, you have sex with everybody that person ever had sex with. Remember all that? I was a part of that. I And I felt justified in using that fear. And I remember Fauci, now I remember he kept saying, there are going to be 2 million people dead if we don't get this, get scare everybody. 2 million dead. We ended up with like 175,000 in that same time interval. He was expecting 2 million because we went out and scared people. Now, it wasn't the same level of hysteria that they created here. But I, I have I have learned that the, what happens in these, whenever there's a physician who feels that he or she is an evangelist and is out to save the world, that's mad science time. That's the time to run. And somebody like Burks, I don't know if you've read her book, but her book is still, she still feels that she was heroic in her efforts when in fact, all I see is an evangelist marching up on her own and convincing governors to do things that had unbelievable harm on the populations, he, Fauci, 
likewise was using fear, using techniques, was clearly adulterated in many ways. And I, I'm 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 in shock and disbelief and angered by it. How much of it was part of the hysteria of the moment? How much was and you know Trump derangement? I, I don't know, but I'm sh I'm shocked by so many things in this pandemic. But that well, is one of them. His his well, uh, you, that he was as adulterated as he was was shocking to me. Since you mentioned Michael Malice before, and his newest book is called The White Pill. I mean, I would say the white pill version of all that is so so you you know someone like you who was influenced by Fauci. And now you can see some of what happens to these people. I think an awful lot of people are uh, feeling a renewed sense of what it means to be an American right now. A lot of people, even people in LA that are- I hope. That are, I hope. I, I don't know the numbers on this exactly. I, and, and I always say to people, you know, I have a bit of a distorted view on this because now I am living in the place that as DeSantis calls it, it is the citadel of freedom. And you can so, you can so yeah. strongly feel it here that, that my version of this might be slightly skewed at a personal level, but I do think, and I can sense at least from, from my audience, which is somewhat self-selected, obviously, these are people who enjoy what I do, so I'm not getting you know, the, the most cross-section of America, but an right. awful lot of people that I hear from are saying, you know, I was a Democrat three years ago, or I believed all of this stuff three years ago. I, I was for school closures, I was for masks. And now after three years of it, and a COVID emergency that Biden still has in charge, even though after the State of the Union, he walked around and hugging everybody and he's 87 years old or whatever, 81, whatever it is. It's like, I think enough people have seen the hypocrisy and seen the way the media has gaslit all of us throughout this, that there is some kind of awakening happening. How that connects to politics, especially at a national level, is hard to say. I think at a state level, you look what happened here in Florida, it makes full sense. People were fed up, they wanted freedom, they got freedom and they rewarded the guy who helped them get there. At the national level, it's, it's a little more messy, and, and that's always partly because of the tension between the big cities, the urban centers, and then the rest of the country, which look very, very different. The pandemic is, yeah, I mean, is over. I, oh, there it is, pandemic is over. But as I hope people understand that we're, we're pretty much in the same place with Omicron as we've been for the last 18 months. But 12 months ago, we had mask mandates. And now nobody's wearing masks. Has there been a massive outbreak of Omicron because people aren't wearing masks? Or did the masks do nothing and it just is doing what it does and will always do? And th this is the thing that people need to look back and go, oh, where was I 18 months ago? And what was the incidence and hospitalization rate of Omicron? Oh, it's the same as now, or at least in the same vicinity. That, that should teach you something, that what we were doing was not just excessive, but ridiculous at that point. But part of that is the ossification of, of bureaucracies. They can't change direction. They can't admit they're wrong. They can't assess their recommendations. They just, it's just they as the Lord. It's tyranny, like you said. Well, I would say that's why having unelected bureaucrats or these organizations, the CDC says this, so you have to do it. The NIH says this, so that you have to do it. The Department of Education says this, so you have to do it. When we have these, these machines above us, that seem like they're so influential and seem like they're doing the right thing, people want to bow to something. I also think, I mean, without getting on like a total uh, spiritual tirade here, I think that's why there also is a bit of a religious revival happening in the United States right now. Because I think so much of this, when remember when Fauci basically pulled a Palpatine and he said, if you criticize me, you're criticizing science. Do you mm. remember that? And that was yeah. that was Emperor Palpatine look, in Revenge of the Sith. I am the Senate. Look, l'état c'est moi. L'état c'est moi. It was exactly the same thing as Louis the Fourteenth. Yes, 
yes, let them eat cake. And uh, you know what? They're going to start eating brains soon enough. I mean, it, it, this concept of, the, of these organizations that should have some power over us. I don't know if you saw it, but, you know, uh, is it Michelle or Rochelle? I always forget. Wilensky. Uh, is it Rochelle Wilensky? Rochelle, Rochelle Wilensky. Right? Rochelle. Rochelle mm -hmm. Wilensky. Uh, she was testifying just a few days ago at Congress, and she still is calling to mask children. Drew, you know, we've got a six-month-old and a four-month-old here. Wow. Uh, by the way, they both, have, wow. they both have COVID right now, as does my partner, David. And guess what? They're drinking a lot of extra breast milk right now. They're sneezy. We're, we're using the snot sucker, taking care of them. They're both getting better. And, and David's actually, he's kind of sick right now. But we both have said all along, thank God you're not vaxxed. Because I, I think, and this is, you can say what you want about this. I don't think there's any reason to think that he is less sick because he, or that if he had been vaxxed, that he would be less sick right now. I, and I'm not vaxxed. And no, I've, not, I'm living in a house with three people yeah. who all have COVID. Yeah. You probably already had it and didn't, didn't even know it. But, no, but yeah, I, this well, is I, the point. No, I got it I, once. I probably had it two other times. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. So, so I, I'm trying to understand, I really, people who watch my stream know I'm, I'm really trying to understand the other points of view. I really want to get it because I'm, I'm mystified. I'm mystified by the excessive enthusiasm for vaccinating the young. I'm mystified by the desire to mask children. I, I can't, I can't imagine what their justification would be. And I'm looking for it. I'm always looking for it because I want to understand what they're doing. I don't believe these are bad people, but I think there's uh, something wrong with their thinking of that. Well, I don't think. Well, well go ahead. Well, Prove me wrong. Uh, well, I'll give you the cynical version of it first, and then I'll give you the, the other version. The cynical version would be, and I, I started to come across this very early on, when, when there was such a push, even though we knew it was 99.99 something percent uh, that you weren't going to die, uh, especially young people, right? So, you know, the only group that was really ever really affected was people over 80 or if you had these other serious comorbidities. Mm -hmm. But there was this crazy push to get kids vaccinated. That was also when one of the major alarms went off for me because it just didn't make sense. Well, wait a minute. Kids get sick with all sorts of things. It's yeah. part of growing up. You know, you're sick as a kid and yeah. then you're sick. We all know this. This is basic stuff. Your immune system is going to get stronger and hopefully the next time around, you're going to get less sick. I think, and, and maybe this is the cynical version, but you know, in a weird way, all the conspiracies are coming true these days. I think one of the pushes from the CDC and the NIH and Pfizer and all the mainstream media to get all the kids vaccinated was because once you as an adult, it's one thing to get yourself vaccinated. You know, you, you dealt with whatever pressures you had, and I'm not diminishing that, the fact that they were firing nurses and all of the horrific things that they did to people. It's one thing to do it to yourself. Now let's say you get your 12-year-old son injected with this thing, and now we know that myocarditis is way up and there's all these studies now. And I have a, I have a young friend, uh, he, I think he's 22 years old, who since he got, vaccinated, has been having heart issues. He's wearing for two weeks, he's wearing a heart monitor right now. Perfectly healthy his entire yeah, I've life. Got, I know I've seen a lot of that. I've seen a lot of it. I know it's, just, I know it's it. just one example. I'm just putting it out there. But yeah. I think what they did was they said, wait a minute, if we get these people to do it to themselves, it's one thing. But once we get you to force your child to be in, uh, vaccinated, then man, you have to be in on this because to confront yourself with the reality that you injected your child with something that you have no idea really what it is or did it do anything or God forbid, did it do something actually net negative to their health? Man, you have, you, in some ways you have a slave for life at that point because to mm. deal with that reality that you were part of it to your own child, I, again, as a new parent, I just simply cannot imagine. I, I, I get that. I, I get that that, 
I don't know why they would, I don't know why, it's too much for me. And by the way, we now know there's a big study that just came out that shows that, guess what? Natural immunity is as good or better than vaccine. Um, there's been data out there occasionally that says immune, natural immunity plus vaccine may be a little superior, but I, you know, the point is natural immunity is very, very effective. And if I had said that 18 months ago, I would have been canceled. And now Drew, I have NBC News up on the screen with us. How, how worried are you as a doctor that the next time something comes around, let's say there is something that is quote unquote more legit than COVID or something that is really dangerous, whether it's a respiratory illness or something else. I am quite worried that even me, that I will be so dismissive of virtually everything that comes out of the machine that that could cause a problem, yeah. that, that the, the trust breakdown yeah. now to me seems scarier than whatever COVID was. Right. It, I, I would have a, I, whom somebody who's used to pouring over the medical literature and trying to figure things out would have difficulty figuring out reality. That's the problem. Reality is obscured. Even in medical journals now, the editorial process is highly problematic. And you need look no further than Twitter files to see how what you're seeing or what you think yep. you're seeing is being adulterated. I, how did you respond to the Twitter files and why isn't that a bigger deal? It's hard for me to get my head around that too. Man, well, as you know, I, I went to, uh, to Twitter, San Francisco. That's why I was in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago and I chatted with Elon. The plan was not that I was going to drop a Twitter files. It was really just, they found some, I had been working with these engineers for a couple of weeks because my traction was way off. I finally got in touch with someone at Twitter and then they uncovered some stuff in my account that they had not seen on other people's accounts. So at about five o'clock East Coast time, I get a call. Can you get to San Francisco tonight to meet with Elon? I somehow bolted on a plane, got there literally after midnight, met with him for a few minutes. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm actually pretty tired. I've been testifying all day long. It's the <laughs> Tesla quarterly meeting. But this is how good the guy is, truly. He says to me, it's, it's about 1 a.m. Like he was tired. His eyes were bloodshot. Like he was tired. He goes, listen, if, if it's a real problem that you need me to deal with right now, I'll stay. Otherwise, could we deal with it tomorrow? And I was like, this is the world's richest man, literally like, he doesn't owe me anything, you know, like treating right. me like I'm the right. boss. Anyway, the next day we had yeah. a much longer meeting where, where he explained a lot of things to me. But what's interesting to, to your point is if, if the question really is like, well, why aren't more people paying attention? Well, the whole system is dependent on people not paying attention. If people were really paying attention, there have been massive violations of our First Amendment rights. Twitter employees were pressured by government authorities to take down tweets. That is a violation of the First Amendment, period, clear and simple. I, I've talked to a couple of First Amendment lawyers on this. What's interesting about it is that you really have no recourse if that happens. So for example, and I was trying to find this out from the Twitter people and they, they couldn't give me a clear answer on this. In July of 21, I was uh, suspended on Twitter for saying that vaccines were not working as promised and that they were prepping us for mandates. That's exactly what happened. It was a month after Biden said, if you get COVID, uh, if you get the vaccine, you will not get or transmit COVID. That wasn't true. I knew it. And I knew it was just obvious that mandates were coming. I got suspended on Twitter for that. Now I asked them, hey, can you guys find out? Is there a way to actually go back and check? Was this a random Twitter employee that took this account down? In which case that's, that's annoying, but it's not a violation of my first amendment rights because it's not the government. Or did a government agent collude with someone at Twitter to do it? Now, they, they did not give me the answer on that. But I asked a couple of First Amendment lawyers about this. And what they said to me was, well, even if, you know, Biden himself called up Twitter 
and said, you know, you got to get Ruben's tweet down about this uh, mandate stuff because it's rolling out soon and we don't want to freak everybody out. You basically have no recourse. You, you can't really sue the government for financial recourse. You can maybe get them to issue an apology, uh, but usually they're not going to do that either. So I think part of the reason that this stuff always continues is that the system is built to never punish anybody. I mean, nobody's been fired because of COVID. Somebody at the CDC should be fired, right? I mean, fire the janitor, throw somebody yes. under the bus, but, but nobody has been fired yes. at all. We live in a time of cancel culture and we're canceling all the wrong people. Yeah. Uh, that, that, by the way, I have an an analysis on my computer called Censorship and Suppression of COVID Heterodoxy, Taxic, Tactics and Countertactics. And one of the observations is that only the very most highly qualified who were trying to make comment were the ones right. that were silenced. The ones that really who should fire? have been we listened to were the ones... Yeah. We literally crazy, fired the right? doctors and, and the nurses, the doctors yeah. and the nurses who we yeah. were told were indispensable or whatever that phrase was. Uh, what was it? Not indispensable. Yeah. Uh, whatever that phrase they were using. I'm, uh, what was it? Uh, yeah, whatever. What I remembered all with people are. Yeah. Essential. Um, whatever it was. Essential yeah, workers. Essential workers. Essential. Yeah. Right. No, right, yeah. right, right. At most people were essential or non-essential, but these people we were told are essential until they didn't do what the government wanted. Then they were non-essential too. So weird. So, okay, I want to take a real quick, could you, is, is this not, do you not feel like you're through the looking glass, Dave? This is bizarre. I, I remember you were sort of more in this camp when I, we did that interview you just talked about on your show before you left Los Angeles. And now I'm like, okay, I'm through the mirror with David. What, what, what the hell happened here? Yeah, well, look, you're one of the guys that I look to to give clear answers on this sort of thing. So when we had that sit down and, and I was definitely like sort of getting here, I would say a little bit faster than you or something like that, which I don't think that, that's not to pat myself on the back. You, you come from this from more a science perspective, right? I come from it from a yeah, talk, yeah. talk show perspective. It's a, it's a different thing, right? Um, but I have to yeah, say, I'm, I'm, glad I, that, I'm glad that you got to the other side on this because we need some communicators. One of the reasons everything's breaking down is that nobody knows who to trust. And I'm not saying people should yeah, be listening to me yeah. going, man, David is, you know, Ruben's right on every freaking COVID thing there is. But I think the, the right to be skeptical and to not, you know, the same people who yep. said, my body, my choice, suddenly wanted to inject you with something basically under gunpoint. And if, and if we don't take yeah. stock of that, then man, it's gonna happen again and probably much worse. You know, it's interesting. I was in, I, I, gotta, I have to take a break and there's a lot of other stuff, even dicier stuff I wanna get into with you, but, but uh, I was in France about 16 months ago, 14 months ago, and man, were they, the youth there were pointing this out over and over again. They were just, the young people in the street saying, this government is not representing the founding principles of our government. Liberté, that was a founding principle. What are you doing? They chop people's heads we're off over the there same, when it goes bad. For, they, well, that one time, that's how they got to those, uh, those notions. But let's take a little break. Back with Dave Rubin right for this. Not sure how to say I love you this Valentine's Day? Well, nothing says I love you more than a few minutes of relaxation. And GenuCell skincare does just that. Gives you the luxury gift of feeling like you spent the entire day in the spa, all while, in fact, in the comfort of your own home. Susan loves to feel pampered and special, especially on Valentine's Day. So why not relax with a detoxifying mask and feel amazing after only one use? I know I'm a snob about the products I use on my face. Everybody knows it. 
Every time I go to the dermatologist's office, they're just rows and rows of different creams. Retinols, vitamin C cream, under eye cream, night creams. Scrubs. And then when I get to the counter, they're overpriced. All kinds of products that you can all find at Genucel.com. I've fallen in love with this product at a fraction of the price. I've been using Genucel for six months now, and I'm very impressed. Genucel's mask works wonders by pulling out all of your imperfections to make you feel refreshed and looking like you just stepped out of a facial appointment. Order the Dr. Drew package today and try this amazing mask for free. That's right. Every single Dr. Drew and Susan package includes a free mask to celebrate you and your loved one on this Valentine's Day. Go to genucel.com drew and enter code drew for an extra 10% off your entire purchase. Plus, all orders are upgraded to priority shipping for free. That's genucel.com slash Drew, G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash D-R-E-W. Despite the U.S. blowing through the $31.4 trillion debt ceiling this January, the White House and the government still refuses to reduce spending. When it comes to fiscal responsibility, you can't afford to bury your head in the sand. Now would be a great time to consider gold with Birch Gold. In times of high uncertainty and instability, gold is king. Birch Gold makes it easy to convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. Here's what you need to do. Visit birchgold.com drew to claim your free information kit, the info kit on gold, and then talk to one of their precious metals specialists. Think about this. To dig our country out of this mountain of debt, every single taxpayer in the country would have to write a check for $247,000 and... Of course, they're not, so it's only getting worse. Protect yourself with gold today by visiting birchgold.com slash Drew. That is B-I-R-C-H gold.com slash Drew. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews, you can trust Birch Gold to protect your future. Here's what I want you to do. Visit birchgold.com slash Drew today. The Rubin Report, Dave Rubin at the Rubin Report. Uh, Dave, come on back here. Is it at Rubin Report or at the Rubin Report on Twitter? At Rubin Report. Rumble. There is no the. Okay. All right. Got it. And uh, my wife ran in here during the little break and said, please thank him for Rumble because we were getting censored regularly by YouTube. I was in YouTube jail. I was sanctioned at all kinds of stuff. And when we wandered over to Rumble, we found a interesting free, uh, you know, uh, open space for liberty and expression and youtube their act together a little bit after that after some of us were just heading over there which is interesting i think you sort of forced their, their hand a little bit and then we have we have a better relationship with it now because we found a human being in at youtube we could talk to and appeal to and uh, uh, you know the appeal is allow physicians to discuss science in real time which they actually agreed on well, doesn't that just show right there that competition is good, right? You always want to invent a better mousetrap. So YouTube basically has had a monopoly on online video and the Rumble guys came around and said, hey, we can do this too and we're not going to be as restrictive. Yep. And holy cow, you know, yep. if you put some stuff up there and it's a little controversial, that's not for us as a platform to decide what can be up there. If you break the laws of the United States, you have a bigger problem than us, obviously. Uh, but without, you know, beyond that, with very limited exceptions, I mean, you know, there are, there are slander and libel laws, things of that nature. You can do what you want on Rumble and we're, we're here to be a neutral platform. The way I got involved with Rumble, as you know, is I started Locals, which was really a subscription replacement of Patreon. Uh, that really, it was a couple of years of my life that was a blur. I didn't even know what I was doing building a tech company as if I wasn't busy enough, but it really blew up. And then we've subsequently merged with Rumble and we're now the subscription part of what Rumble's doing on the video side 
And you know, Drew, one of the things that people don't really know about Rumble, because everyone thinks that it's a, it's a YouTube replacement, is what it really is, it's, a, it's an infrastructure replacement to Amazon AWS. Amazon uh, AWS is oh, Amazon no Web Services. That's the underbelly oh. of the internet. Yeah, so, so you may remember, wow. you may remember when, remember after January 6th when they blew up Parler? Basically, Amazon, just on a touch screen, I don't know if it was a touch screen or a lever or whatever they have over there, they said, oh, we don't like Parler. They're the new guys in town, 23 million monthly yep. users. Let's just blow them up and they're off the internet. Yep. So what, yep. what Rumble is doing is building that infrastructure up and we have our own servers and all of those things and, uh, and we have a lot more to, to work on. Uh, but competition is, is, and human ingenuity, that's the only thing that will get us out of any of this stuff. I, I agree with you. I, I just keep wondering how long, but but here we are. I mean, at least you, you've you been able to do something extraordinary and, and we it's appreciated on our end, I must tell you. So thank you for that. Let me, I want to wander into some stuff here and see what we can do with it. Now, we both said that one of the really important sort of tasks ahead amongst other things is, and some people have framed it as teaching civics, that we at least understand our common history, our common heritage, and I, I, there's almost no topic where I look at what people's level of conversation is, and I think they, they just don't understand. <laughs> they have no idea. People seem to have no sense of where this, what this country was founded on, where it came from. And uh, I have to talk about a difficult topic today with Greg Gutfeld on that show, uh, and it has to do with lynching. And I wanted to discuss it with you uh, beforehand, if, if you don't mind. Are you up for that? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So we have now Joe Biden uh, going out before this new Emmett Till lynching movie. And he said the following, and this is what I want you to react to. White families gathered to celebrate the spectacle, which is historically true. So Southern white families, uh, the whole story there. Uh, and by the way, I spent my morning just pouring over Frederick Douglass's words. I can't get enough of that man. He should be on Mount Rushmore. Oh my God. Uh, I don't know if you ever read his words, but that dude was a genius of that can only be increasingly appreciated as we move through the present moment. But uh, I hope you agree with me on that. But his words were just always revealing to me. And he made a big issue of the uh, the sinister effects of having been living amongst and around the institution of slavery and that it affected people and left behind this inhuman sort of behavior. But now here's the part that um, Biden went, went on to say. So they gathered to celebrate spectacle, took pictures. Uh, some people still want to do this. And I thought, oh man, I, I, do they? I, are we, do we live in that country? Is, is, that, is that a real st is statement? I know people feel that, that that would be true. What do we actually think? Yeah, you know, I actually, uh, we were prepping for my show tomorrow. We're going to use that clip. So I saw the clip right before you and I jumped on here. Look, this is just the same sort of racial pandering that the left has been doing with literally everything. Literally everything. Look what's going on right now with this AP African American Studies course here in Florida, where they, in, they instilled uh, woke gender studies to be part of African American history. Any honest assessment of African-American history, especially at an AP class where a high school kid is going to get college credit, anyone in their right mind knows that this has nothing to do with gender theory and the rest of the critical race stuff and intersectionality and everything else. So all DeSantis did was say, no, that cannot be a course that we're going to teach here in Florida. He didn't say we can't learn about civil 
rights or Martin Luther King or slavery or anything else, which of course you learn at literally every Floridian high school and junior high school and everywhere else. But if you look at how the media treated it, Andrea Mitchell on NBC News talking about how DeSantis doesn't want to teach about slavery. The, the, the crazy women, I mean, I think they're all legitimately crazy at this point, at The View, all saying that DeSantis uh, is racist now and doesn't want an honest assessment of history. I would say what you're describing there, Biden's words there, it's a deep connection to they, they only have a coalition of voters if they can keep those people thinking that half the com- country is coming to get them. Uh, if the Democrat party was so good to black people, then why is it that it was under Donald Trump, scary, orange, mean, racist Donald Trump, that there was all time low black unemployment. And you may remember during the famous State of the Union when he said that under me, there is the lowest all time black and Latino unemployment, the Congressional Black Caucus, they went to them on TV and they sat there with their arms crossed. And I would have thought that, you know, low, uh, all time low black unemployment was something that the Congressional Black Caucus would have been for or that the progressives would have been for. But when you realize they're not for these people, they're for power, then it all starts becoming increasingly clear. So when Biden says something like that, nobody, nobody, I don't think anyone in their right mind really believes it, but an awful lot of people have been bamboozled mm, I think through people poor believe education it. I think pe- and media. I, I think yeah. people believe it. I think they feel like it's a real thing. And, and I, I want to take it away from the baiting part of this and back to what you and I had both agreed early with, which is that let's teach history. And and what a lot of most people, I would argue, don't understand that all of that violence was a part of Southern Reconstruction, not slavery, although mm-hmm. slavery left the blemish on the, the humanity part. Uh, it was Democratic policy during Reconstruction flying in the face of Grant and Lincoln's ideas about how to put down this behavior as roaming groups of angry Confederate soldiers went around and killed black people indiscriminately. I mean, we have to look at that history realistically, I think, before anybody can heal from it. Of course. And anyone that knows anything about history would also know that the Republican Party was founded as the anti-slavery party. That's why it splintered off. I mean, there there are realities out there. There, there There are facts And there is a true, honest history of this country. It is not perfect and perfection does not exist. But, you know, when people run around saying America is systemically racist, first off, there are no laws that stop anyone from doing anything because of their skin color or their gender or sexuality. And if there were such a law that stopped anyone from getting a government job or or doing anything they wanted to do purely because of an immutable characteristic, of course, as, as a liberal position, I would be against that. That is what classical liberalism is is totally for, individual rights, laissez-faire government that gets out of your way so that you can flourish the way to talk Bill was talking about. Um, but there, that, that is not what these people seem to want. They seem to want to constantly feed everyone this idea of endless racism. And yet nobody leaves this. I mean, what, what would you say is a less racist country than the United States, meaning that there's more people of every walk of life here. We've done it unbelievably well for 250 years. What country is less racist than us? I mean, we're not a racist well, but, country but by we any have, estimation. We, we, but, but Dave, I would push back that we have this extraordinary history that we, and if we're going to point at that extraordinary history, let's understand it. Let's actually get sure. into it deeply. And extraordinary well, think, history where think, people were we're not seen as full humans, right? Three fifths or whatever they were. And then what happened, and really, I think so much of the trauma that's still around 
was from Reconstruction, more, more than slavery, which is an extraordinary thing to say, that the violence of Reconstruction, people have, it, it's so horrible and so violent, it's been expunged from the American uh, memory. It was horrific. And so when somebody points at something like um, the um, lynching, uh, of course it has echoes, but if you don't understand where those echoes come from, it's just going to feel like it's about to happen again. Well, I think in essence, what we're talking about here is how do you educate people properly? So that, you know, we can take any any issue of the day, whether it's understanding what individual rights are when they lock you in your house or when they try yep. to scare you about some race race issue or some gender issue. What we're really talking about is education. Uh, this is where I yep. would say what you want to do is we've seen that our that the the teachers unions, which are so deeply embedded with the Democrats right now, and locked all these kids yeah. out and put masks on them. And now, as you know, there are all these kids with speech delays and a whole bunch of other cognitive stuff and depression and everything else. Yeah. And the simple truth is they're not getting a good education anymore. And you don't know what a kid is walking out with when they leave a public high school. So if you, H have if you read, really- Listen, I, yeah, have you read some of these reports from Ukrainian kids that have come over here and are, in California specifically, some of these have come out where they're in these middle school classrooms and high school classrooms and they cannot believe it. They, they can't, can't believe, it. believe what's going on and what is accepted as education there. And and I, I've always said, you know, when you, when you look at the, uh, the, as you said, the lockdown and, you know, keeping schools closed. And I, I'm with you on this, on the teachers thing, that that was the reason things stayed closed very clearly, because I, I did a nightly newscast during that year. And I, I interviewed some of them. I kept saying, all right, you want all these things? Let's do it. Let's get them. Let's get them in place. Let's open the schools. You're a sexist. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> they, they just didn't want to do it. They didn't want to do it. Right. So uh, I've always point at the Ukrainian women. I've said this many, many times. I'll say it once more because it's you, which is when they, you know, when during the beginning of the Ukrainian war, there was this exodus of women and children. Men were generally staying back to fight. And in Poland, all the reporters were putting microphones in the women's faces. And of course, they were crying and saying, it's terrible. We had to leave our husband, our son. It's awful. But then they would always turn to the kids and go, these kids have been out of school for two weeks. We have to get them back in right. school. This is ridiculous. And they put them in a school where they didn't even speak the language. They were so anxious to get them in school because two weeks was unacceptable. Two years for us. Two years, everybody. Right. And I'm going to guess they got a better a education. In a, they probably got a better education in a language they didn't understand than what you'd be getting at a California state school. And, and that 100%. is the point. What you would want, what you would want if you care about education and so that people can have an honest assessment of history so, so we can get to the root of where we started here, you would yeah. want school choice. You would want to fund students instead of systems. You would want to say to, if you believe in taxation, right? So uh, if you're any of us other than Michael Malice, our, our ANCAP friend, if you believe that taxes <laughs> are, are valuable at any level, and he might be right about it, but if you believe that a state should exist and it should take some money to do some basic functions, Generally, people think that that means one of the functions is educating young people. But we've now proven because of the bloatedness of the Department of Education and these crazily powerful teachers unions uh, that they are incapable, at least at a national level, of educating young people. So what you would want is school choice. You would want to say, OK, instead of just pumping all of this money into state schools that are constantly failing, you might want to say, and we could do it from a racial perspective, you might want to say to a, a young black woman, hey, you have a seven-year-old kid and you, the district that you guys are closest to is actually, it's a terrible school. There's crime and there's drugs and all of this stuff. How about instead of just forcing your kid to go to that school, 
we'll give you a tax credit or a voucher, whatever you want to call it, for about seven grand. And now you have four different schools you can choose from. One's a public school, one's a charter school, one's a private school. You might also be able to find a nonprofit that could help make up some of the extra cost on some of this stuff. And through choice, to get to what, to we, what we talked about with YouTube and Rumble, well, now these schools have to compete a little bit and they might start doing something more honest and decent. But when you ask why do people not know history? Well, it's fairly obvious. The education systems have absolutely failed everybody. It's monopoly versus competition. If we, we need a Teddy Roosevelt towards education rather than just the, although we need it for business too these days, but at least you were able to get some inroads uh, competitively. I want to point out one other thing that was occurred to me when you were talking about wherever people come from to get to this country to take advantage of the ideas upon which they were founded. Um, you know, people are now increasingly aware of Ukraine's history. My my family was running away from the Holodomor, right? Uh, as as there was a huge exodus, which was this was Stalin's. You know, it's much like they did in Mao's China. They did all these agricultural re, you know, groupings of people and killed millions of people as a result through famine. And uh, what's interesting is that I used to hear stories from my grandmother where she, before they left, they were fixing to leave because there were people that would run through these communities and destroy them. And just, they were fighting, they were fighting amongst themselves. They, you know, along the way, destroy the, the properties and things. And some of these were Jewish communities. And so there was almost like pogroms going on at the time. And she called them all the bandits. They were the bandits. Mm. And, and to this day, I don't know if those were the Bolsheviks, the Tsarists, the Mensheviks, or just criminals roaming around. And it could have been all of them because that's what was going on in Ukraine, uh, courtesy of the Russian Revolution. And then Stalin took it into a complete famine. And it's only recently that they started, you started seeing the country thrive again. But it's interesting to me that they're very accustomed to leaving. People just, whoop, they're out, they're going, going somewhere else. Well, it, it's an interesting point, actually, because, you know, as Biden is literally in Ukraine today, basically promising Zelensky more money and saying we will, he, in yeah. essence, Biden said, we will fund this thing forever and we'll give you whatever you want. Sheesh. And then I don't know if you saw the, I don't know if you saw the video on this, but Zelensky basically said there will be no uh, compromise until we join NATO. He's not going to be able no. to join NATO. It, it, Putin will not allow... What? them to be part of NATO on his border. It's as simple as that, and Putin has nukes. So we can fund this yeah. thing forever, and we can give them tanks, and we can give them airplanes and bags of cash and never get a receipt, and it will not end this thing. And, and the other odd thing is, you seem unable in mainstream media to say just that. I, I'm not pro-Putin, I'm not pro-authoritarian. Uh, I have no doubt he's doing horrific things to political, not no doubt, it is known, he does horrific things to political dissidents. This is not a friend of freedom or of minorities or anything of that nature. But the question is, yep. does that mean the United States of America, which cannot protect its own borders or basically do anything right anymore at a federal level, should we be giving a foreign country $100 billion to literally pay their pensions? Do you know that we're now paying for the pensions of some of the Ukrainian citizens? We should at least be able to oh ask those questions. But if you ask those questions, yeah, MSNBC will call you a homophobe or something like that. Maybe the U.S. government owes me something to give my heritage. I don't know. <laughs> Wouldn't, it anyway, nice? so, Wouldn't it be nice? So, yeah. So, 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 yeah, I don't. Do you think? Do you think? Let me ask you just a, an assessment. I, I keep hoping, at least, and I wonder if you have any sense that this is so. That a lot of this is a bluff to try to get some sort of negotiated something going on. Is is that possible? I guess it's possible. But well, what, what do you think? 
Oh, you mean on Zelensky's part, like playing the hard line to get the negotiation? Everybody, everybody's part. Everybody, like everybody, because because what is what is Biden's end game here? Go forever? I mean, really? That's your that's your game, or is it to say I'll go to ever so we can get Putin to sit down and do something reasonable? Right. Well, one of the problems with this administration is because they lie. I would say about about everything. I cannot give you an example of something they don't lie about. They yeah. are so deep in it that every day, I mean, I cover those ridiculous press conferences with Jean-Corinne Pierre every day. The woman could not say anything true. And by the way, this is, you know, Saki before her, I used to always say, she can't say anything true. If you asked her what her favorite color was, she would say four. I mean, these people are completely incapable of saying true. So I don't know what the American position on this is. You know, there's also this, this sort of story, not story, that it sounds like we blew up the Nord Stream pipeline, which probably would be an act of war in, in a, in a sane world, but okay, let's put that aside for yeah. a second. Uh, yeah. At the at the Zelensky level, if you don't, if you say, "Hey, I'm being funded to the tilt. I want everything I want, and I will take nothing less, and I'll just have this thing go on forever." Putin, the other guy, might just say at one point, you know, five years into this thing, after we've just more and more money and it's just endless and all that stuff. Putin might just say, you know what, enough of this, and we're going to end this war. And the way he would end it would be something unimaginably horrific. So this idea, oh, everyone boy. needs an off-ramp here. Everyone, the U.S. needs Sheesh. an off-ramp because I think the average person has had it. They just don't understand what's going on here. Why are, we, we're not giving any money to the people of East Palestine with this horrific mm -hmm. disaster, and Biden's showing up over there, right, in Ukraine. So we need an off-ramp. Yeah. Putin needs an off-ramp because I assume he wants the, he wants Russia, whether it's greater Russia or his Russia, to be part of the world again at some level. So maybe he won't get everything he needs. But Zelensky also, how is it that the guy who, who we're told is, you know, being bombed out of, you know, into oblivion and lo losing his country and all these things, how is he the one saying, I'm not negotiating? That, that's not how any of this works. You know, remember that? What was that? The progressive right. commercial, whatever it is. That's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. Right. 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 Oh, that's so upsetting when I think about that. It's very disturbing. And, and that the, you know, I, I, this is just sort of my own personal feeling about this. I, I feel, you know, that, that was a country that was just starting to thrive and so pathetic. I, I feel the same way, though, about the way, what the lockdowns did to so many businesses and people in this country. People were just starting to thrive and our overreach of our government in a hysteria just destroyed people and, and gave no, no risk-reward analysis in their decision-making. It was just too much. Well, my friend, you've been very kind with your time here. I, I don't want to overstay my welcome. Although I could just keep chatting all day with you and I miss you. Uh, we got to come visit you. I mean, let me know when there's another dinner party down there. We can all come in for the party. Drew, it's free state of Florida. You can come at any time. Everybody's yeah. here. I Everybody's know. happy. I know it we'll is. serve you fried gator legs, whatever you want, man. <laughs> it's true. We, we were in West Palm Beach and you could you could feel, I don't know if Susan, you want to comment on this. She's sitting in front of her mic. That we, we could feel the happiness. It was like really kind of an extraordinary thing. There was a happiness what, what sort of- What is keeping to, you? What is keeping you guys in Cali? What is, I know, I know we, you've been there have, for a long time. Yeah, and roots are deep there. I practice medicine there. I still have patients that, I mean, I could literally fly in every two weeks and do the work probably. Um, but but it, it's until it our kids are out and settled and our dogs die and they don't need the land. We, we're thinking very actively about doing something though. I must tell you. Are we, they, we very really contemplate. Until your the, dogs die, I, that's I would, what's keeping you there? I have well, a dog here. He'll I be mean, all right. They own the house. It's, it's their they house, right? House. It's our kids and our dog's house. We're just there as sort of <laughs> patrons. But, 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 um, 
we we are not we are past the contemplative i'd say into the planning phase so so wouldn't be surprised if we uh showed up somewhere. We've thought about it, trust me. All right, me. Drew, I'm gonna, I'm gonna text yeah. you and Susan after this. The house across the street for me is for sale. Tennis court, okay. really nice, nice <laughs> ranch ceiling. Okay. You're gonna love it. We're, we're literally Open thinking concept, like great condo, kitchen. condos. We want to <laughs> downsize, my oh friend. Oh my God. We Our don't want property. natural gas bill was $1,500 yeah. this month. Again, third month in a row. And, and it's I, criminal, and, it's and by criminal. The way, whatever has gone on there in the state of California, Gas prices are down, Susan, you'll love this. Natural gas prices, spot prices are down 80%. But we're getting none of that benefit in California for some reason. And that's just about- They're trying to push the rest of us out. Spot on for how that state operates. Dave, give Ruiz, us the, the last as, plugs. Uh, where do you, yeah, go you, ahead. Get the plugs. People know where to find Format me. I'll me. just leave you with the, I'll give you with a little advice. How about that? Instead of plugs. As, uh, as right. Jerry said to George, after George told him all of his problems and who he really was, Good luck with all of that. That's what I say to all my friends from Cali. Good luck with that is about all you can say. So here we are. All right, my friend, uh, Caleb, anything from your standpoint? Oh, no, that was that was amazing. That was amazing. Got everything good. Dave, thank you, sir. We'll see you soon. All right, and see you soon. For, all right, man. For everyone else, uh, we had a change in schedule. Uh, Wednesday was supposed to be Brooke Jackson. Now it's going to be Aaron Cariotti. Uh, and I thought this would be a great time to get back in touch with Aaron. If you don't know him, you can find him on Twitter Spaces almost every day. He is a psychiatrist who was fired from his job at UC Irvine for having the temerity to suggest, by the way, where he was the head of bioethics for years, a decorated professor and teacher, dismissed for daring to suggest that natural immunity may be comparable to vaccine immunity. And he specifically was taking issue with vaccine mandates based on what you now see on the screen from NBC News. Immunity acquired from a COVID infection is as protective as vaccination against severe illness and death study finds. No shit, Sherlock. We've known that for quite some time, particularly, um, geez, for the younger people and people of sort of medical school age, it just it just sort of made no sense. But I was reading something today also where our friend Dr. Latipo was being crushed on Twitter for daring to say something like that. It's interesting, people put up this, uh, they were retweeting something from a year ago where his bosses were taking issue with some of the things he had said and that he'd been disruptive because of that. And it's, everything they said in that in that little article about him being disruptive as a, as a teacher of residence, 80% of what he said was correct, and 100% of what his superior said was wrong. So just chew on that for a second. I mean, the, people are being, people, we've got to get realigned again. And th this conversation with Dave is, I hope, part of that process. We're getting us back back in alignment. Uh, unfortunately, I'm through the looking glass with David in the meantime. Um, looking at Florida. <laughs> it may happen. He's going to send you the picture of that house. I'm looking at yeah, the guys, Rumble Rants. Uh, yeah, Alabama sounds good to us, too. We yeah. were just in Louisiana. It wasn't so bad. Uh, so what do we got going here? I'm sorry. I'm looking at the ramps before I wrap things up. All the red pills. I'm just hoping that it changes in California, that it's not going to stay. Well, I have said that it would be... Uh, I think we need to complain more. Well, no kidding. I think it would be appropriate. I thought it was appropriate to fight for California about a year ago. I thought it would be worth, worth the fight. Now I'm not sure there even is a fight, so I don't even know what, quite what to do because most people that are up for the fight have left or are leaving. Although some are going down to Orange County, and sort of apparently I'm hearing there's some people down there that are from the Northern California. Yeah, that's that utopia. would be a good idea for us. So anyway, back to my roots.
All right, so uh, I, what's happening tomorrow? Do in we a have one some? bedroom that doesn't need natural gas? Right, <laughs> I'm in for that. Oh my god! Um, so look for me on Greg Gutfeld tonight. Uh, also, I believe we are not having a show tomorrow. That was today's show, correct? Is that true? Yes, that's correct. We're or back we on Wednesday. No, tomorrow we don't, we don't have a show. We're off tomorrow. Tomorrow is uh, Caleb's wife's birthday. Oh yeah, that's right. Because happy birthday to your wife, and we'll be back with Ariadne on Wednesday at our Cariadi. At our usual time, which is three. With Dr. Kelly. With Dr. Kelly, of course. Dr. Kelly will be in here. Dr. Kelly ought to be in here. It'll be 6 o'clock Eastern time, 3 o'clock Pacific time. We will see you then. Ta-ta. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help. 